If you'll join me, we will read from the scripture. We'll be reading from 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and this is page 1021 in our Pew Bibles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We recently wrapped up a sermon series in Haggai a couple of weeks ago, and that was a very, very rich study for me personally. And I think it actually leads into this next series in 1 John pretty well. Um, if you're new to this church, we do go chapter by chapter, verse by verse on various books and usually flip-flopping between Old Testament and New Testament. So we were just in the old, going into the new. And the reason why we do this is based out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It reads, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we do this, and hopefully at some point in time we will be able to do Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we're not quite there yet. I don't even think we're halfway, but um, we'll, we'll be working on it. The prophet Haggai had a, a lot to share with us, and I just want to briefly go back to that and tie that into our new sermon series here in First John. And so what did Haggai have to share with us? In the book of Haggai, there is this phrase there that occurs there several times, and it says, consider our ways, or consider your ways, to think about them, to ponder them, to reflect upon how we are living, to prioritize the worship of God, and the people changed at this rebuke that Haggai gave them in chapter one, that the people of God obeyed the voice of God, and they remembered this promise from God that I am with you. Then in chapter 2, there's this encouraging word from Haggai to be strong, to take courage and, and to work. That holiness takes work. That holiness is not a contagious thing, but the uncleanness, the unrighteousness, those are contagious things. And if you can't tell, uh, just look at the flu, right? Like the flu is contagious and you putting a healthy person in the midst of people that all have a flu the guy that's healthy gets sick, right? He doesn't make everybody well. So if you need to re-listen to any of those messages, they're all on, online. Then there's this reminder that, that God is in control, that God keeps his word, that God keeps his promises. And so this is the backdrop of Haggai. And so with that in mind, let's head into 1 John with that rebuke, that encouragement, that reminder from Haggai. Because in 1 John, we'll be getting into some really meaty theological content that hopefully is going to help us grow spiritually in our understanding and just help us spiritually grow. And so the hope is for us to just get past all this superficial church Christian stuff and to get into deeper things within the church, such as being able to point out false teachers and false teachings. Because this is what John's doing in this letter. 
He's responding to what is happening inside the church, that these false teachers were coming out of the church. These false teachers were spreading these false doctrines that caused chaos inside the church. And so their purpose wasn't to unify the church and bring it together, but to divide it by sowing these seeds of insecurity and confusion. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 of 1 John. It reads, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, John is not writing about people who are just going from church to church. John is actually writing about people who left the true church of Christ entirely, who left these churches that taught the knowledge of God that is based on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, that these false teachers were sharing a false Christianity. And so one of the questions for us to address is how do we know the difference between a true Christianity and a false Christianity? How do we even know this? There are a few telltale signs. False Christianity wants to offer a faith that doesn't involve tears. It offers a faith without demands. It offers a faith without holiness. False Christianity rejects pain. It fears suffering. Now, does any of this sound familiar in our world today? Because this type of thinking is very prominent amongst the church. Because our culture is so anti-discomfort. I don't know if that's even a word, so I, I don't. But it is anti-suffering. It is anti-pain. It is anti-tears. And it's not that Christians are sadistic or that we enjoy these things. It's just that we are realists. That we, we deal with reality. We deal with truth. Because how many of us can honestly put our hands up and say we've never experienced pain? We've never experienced suffering. We've never experienced tears. That is just not a reality. The facts of life are that we deal with pain. We deal with suffering. And the main concern of the letter as we read this is you'll notice that it's pastoral in nature. That John is looking to address the realities of the church, the truths of the church. He's not looking to pacify it. He's not looking to ignore what's happening. He's looking to protect it, to encourage the readers of this letter. Now, encourage with what? A lot of things, but I'm just going to point out three. You look at verse 4 in 1 John chapter 1, and it reads this. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the letter is to produce joy. Take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So it's encouragement to produce joy. It's encouragement to produce holiness because sin is not okay. Sin separates us from God. And then look at the but here. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this encouragement towards joy, towards holiness, and then towards the assurance of faith in Christ. Take a look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So we're going to be studying through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John together. But just for this month, every day we created this kind of bookmark for you. And so 
seven chapters within 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Five in the first, one each in 2nd and 3rd. And so it's just one chapter a day. And so this is just to help you keep track. Super easy. We've already gone through four verses today. You just need six more. Right? Just, like, you can even do it now. Let me just read it now. And then just check it off. And then um, you'll get brownie points as you walk out the door and just show it. Check mark. Okay. But what we're hopefully going to grow together with this, and for each of us who will invest the time into what God is speaking through these scriptures, we'll, we'll receive this greater assurance, this boldness, this knowledge, confidence, as we study and meditate and absorb these biblical passages. Now feel free to take notes on, on what you're learning. Feel free to memorize and maybe you can just go ahead and prayerfully and thoughtfully read through these next six verses before you leave here. And, and that's for all you overachievers because there's mo- a lot of you are Cal grads, so I know you're like already thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an A, so go ahead. On the back side of it is Lamentations. This is what we're going to be going through during our series during the Lenten season. And so we already kind of pre-printed that for you then so that you can read that every day for that month. Um, so that, that'll be for the future. But for now, we're just concentrating on this First John section. Now, by the end of the month, we will have read each chapter four times. And as we read this together, you keep these reasons in mind as to why John is writing this letter. And it's so that we as believers, we are equipped to be joyful, holy, faithful. Which is very, very challenging in our world today. Because we face these real challenges today with what we believe as Christians. And if you don't think that we do, all you need to do is after the service is walk down to the lake two blocks. And then declare what the Bible really teaches. And see what happens. Right? Say something like this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by him. And see what people say you'll more than likely encounter some pushback. And the more accepted answer would be something like this, that everybody has their own way, and you need to respect everybody's way. And we all get to God somehow, which I actually agree with. We all do. It's just how you meet him. But we all, we all, we all meet our creator. No matter what road you take, we'll meet our creator. It's just what happens afterwards. But what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the only way to have things turn out good. And there's a lot in the Bible that people really like, but there's also a lot that people do not like. And what John is encouraging us is that even in the middle of all the dislikes and the opposition, stay joyful, remain holy, stay faithful. And 1 John speaks with this certainty about Christian theology when others want us to accept more of an ambiguous way of spirituality, when others are attempting to pull us from our faith in Jesus to have us compromise that joy, that holiness, that faithfulness. We need to look to books like 1 John to give us this objective certainty of truth. Now, how in the world can we have this type of certainty? Well, this is what John is pointing to. He's saying... I was an eyewitness of Jesus. I'm not a mythological figure. I wrote this letter. And Jesus was not either. 
because I was there in person as a direct disciple of Jesus to witness everything in the life of Jesus during those three years of ministry. And that I saw Jesus with my own eyes, I heard him with my own ears, and I'm not reporting from another source. That I myself, John, was there with Jesus, and I'm pointing out this objective truth that I, John, firsthand have with Jesus, and I'm reporting this. The subjective part of it is whether we believe these objective truths. But knowing whether we are truly in Christ is what is subjective. And hopefully this time of study in 1 John will grow us stronger in this faith in Christ. And hopefully through our study of John, we'll we'll also be able to spot false teaching and spot false teachers. Because just because people say they believe in Jesus does not mean that they are obedient or loyal to Jesus. Because even the demons believe. All of them. They know better. They just aren't obedient. They just aren't loyal. So we need to discern a counterfeit faith in Jesus because it's, it's dangerous and it leads others to this false sense of spiritual security. Now what does God say? What does the Bible say? And First John will give us a true sense of spiritual confidence. How? Well, as we, we study these things together through these three letters, we'll, we'll pick up what true belief is. John is going to lay out for us theologically to tell us what true obedience is. John is going to lay out for us how we're going to live or how we are to live. He's going to lay out for us what true love is. You know, he's love, true love. You know, he's going to lay that all out there. And he's going to lay out for us what life looks like for those who are truly in Jesus Christ. So what we believe theologically, how we live, and how we love, all going to be addressed in this book. Who's this John guy anyway? Well, John is the Apostle John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 1st John is thought to have been written in AD, AD. And after Jesus' death, John sets up shop in Ephesus because all the Jews are scattered in the, in the 60s um, because of brotherly love and all this kind of stuff. No, I'm kidding. Persecution, right? Boom, they're gone. And so John writes this in Ephesus as an elderly gentleman. And he doesn't address a specific church like the Apostle Paul does, but he's more of this is a generic letter to the church. And as, as you read it, you're going to notice this loving, fatherly tone about it because he addresses the people of the church as children or beloved. And so John is estimated to have lived between 100 and 109 years old, which is amazing. My uh, neighbor across the street is turning 100 in September. It's crazy. He doesn't remember who I am, though. And he's writing this letter to address issues in the church, namely false prophets, false teachings. Take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's, he's worried about people being led astray. Not so much by external persecution. They went through that 20 years earlier and they've lived through that. They're establishing churches in other places. He's more concerned with what's happening inside the church from people who mix this secular truth and these philosophies and this culture with the teachings of Christ. 
Again, sound familiar? Because this is happening today. And it's not that these people from within the church are knowingly seeking to destroy the church. I don't think so. I've met a lot of these folks, and they actually do think that they're making the church a better church. They, they, they genuinely want to make the church better. They want that. And they'll even claim to be Christians, but here's the problem, is that they are mixing what is common with what is meant to be holy, because the antonym of holy is common. And we simply can't do that with a holy God. You cannot mix what is common with a holy God. God is not common. And so this is the problem in John's day, and it's an issue that we're frankly dealing with today, that John dealt with these heresies in the person of Jesus being truly God and truly man. Because back in that time, he's dealing with this group called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believe that the spiritual part of a person is fundamentally good. That is a fundamentally good part. The bad part of a person is actually their physical part, as evidenced by death, sickness. And so Gnostics had a problem with the person of Jesus, but not the spirit of Jesus. Again, doesn't this sound familiar? Because people will not argue against the spirit of Jesus here. If you're talking about love, joy, peace, we love that Jesus. We love that Jesus. But they will argue with you all day about sin and how Jesus physically died on the cross for their sin. Physically resurrected from the dead to overcome death and reconcile humanity to God. People will argue with you about that day and night as they did in John's day about the incarnation of Christ. But the majority of people will not argue about the spiritual things about orphan care. They'll embrace that. But you see, this is how heresy is birthed. The person of Jesus is truly a person and truly God. One of the things that the church has become afraid of are different words. One of these words we're afraid of is dogmatism or dogmatic. We don't want to be put in that box. We want to go away from it. I want to encourage you to embrace that word sometimes. Not all the time I've met some of those dogmatic folks and they're like dogs. So don't, you don't want to do that. But there are instances where, yeah, I stand for this. Because if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. And so John is not afraid to share some of these more dogmatic teachings. Why? Because he was physically present with Jesus. That it wasn't hearsay, that he was there in the flesh, and he wasn't the only one to experience this, as you'll read in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, John did deal with those Gnostics personally and directly, and he doesn't write, I heard, I touched. He's informing everyone, there's actually a bunch of us that witness this. We heard. We've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched. And he tells them it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just this existential love, peace, joy thing. That this is actual. This is physical. That there are others who can substantiate the same claims that I'm making. That it was 
difficult that he, John, did not do this because he's there. And he was there taking care of the mother of Jesus, Mary. Because you know at the foot of the cross, Jesus tells John, take care of my mom. And so John takes her to Ephesus and they set up shop there. And so the Turkish government has set up a house of Mary there to get your tourist dollars. But yes, it is in that city. We don't know if it's actually that house. But it's that city. And so John is substantiating this testimony by telling everyone, I'm not the only one. There are a lot of us who have experienced life with the physical Jesus. Now why does John say we saw and then just a couple words later says we looked? I mean, isn't that the same thing if you saw and you looked at something? Isn't that the same thing? Not in the Greek. When he saw, he's talking about physically seeing. But then when he's saying look, he's talking more about examining carefully. About inspecting. And so John is making a point to show that, yeah, I saw him, but it was more than that. That I actually inspected. That I actually kind of looked closely, examined Jesus. So John started with declaring that Jesus was from the beginning, verse 1. And by the end of verse 1, that Jesus is the word of life. And then you'll notice that he repeats the word life a couple of times in verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is speaking about Jesus. Now, Jesus is the message, and just like in the prologue of the Gospel of John, which let's turn to, let's take a look at it. Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Both the Gospel of John and 1 John, both indicating the existence of Jesus prior to His incarnation, pointing to the Jesus as the Son co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. That the word of life preceded the manifestation of Jesus and that this is not just a theory, that this is the actual Jesus who is indeed God. Why is any of this even important anyway? Because then people can't just chalk up Jesus and Christianity as some existential religion that it's just a spiritual thing. Because then people are going to be forced to come to terms with the physical Jesus who declared and proclaimed himself to be God. Now people take issue with God and the common argument is God's not tangible. I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't hear him. And John is challenging that thought and saying, I did. We did. What are you talking about? And if people are honest with their thoughts, this physical Jesus, this word who became flesh, you need to come to terms with that. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now you notice this word proclaim in verses 2 and 3. That John is not suggesting, that John is not recommending, he's proclaiming. This is a declaration. Now why does John do this? So that you too may have fellowship with us. So that you do not go the way of the Gnostics. So that you do not go the way of the commoner. 
so that we go the way of the holy with God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. That fellowship with us has a personal tie to God as John had this personal first-hand fellowship with Jesus and we are tied into this bond. Verse 4, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Take a look at what John wrote about joy in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now I think that any of us who have children and we know God, we can strongly relate to this. Speaking personally, there's nothing more I want for my children than to walk in the truth of the Lord. Nothing else would give me a greater joy. Nothing. I would feel like I won the Super Bowl. And I think any of you parents who know God would agree that your kid can end up any way else. But if they had this, it's a victory. This is it. This is, this is what we did our job. But so often our flesh gets in the way. So often those seductions of the world, they pull us so that that joy is incomplete. And those temptations of the world distracting us, and oftentimes, unfortunately, it's from within. It's from within the church that people are pulling others away and dividing the church and saying, like, what about this idea that is not holy? What about this idea that the scriptures say is simply sin? And we start just planting these things from inside saying, we know better now. It's hundreds of years later. We should be more this, more that. When the Bible clearly states to us, that's a sin. That separates you from God. Don't do that, do this. And yet we still continue to compromise and most of the time it's from within. Take a look what Paul wrote in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Among you. Not sparing the flock. And those words came true. Because have you noticed that the church of Acts is not around anymore? And yet we are. And we need, need to be so vigilant with what we have today. See, the church back in the day of Acts was a very, very messed up church. I don't know if you realize this. It was a messed up church. And these fierce wolves did come from among them, and they were not spared. Now, why in the world would we want to be a church like that? Because you often hear that, right? Oh, man, if we could just be like the church that was in Acts. Heck no. Like, why, why would you want that? You want the wolves coming up? You want the, like, why would we want that? We need to just pray that we are the church who God wants us to be today. We don't have to be like another church. We need to be holy, present for the Lord today. We have to be careful about what's happening inside our churches. The glory did depart from that church. And I just pray that we can have God's glory as long as possible for our church. I don't know how long that's going to be. Who knows? But we have to be bold with what we do have today and not be apologetic 
for sharing the love of God. Because many of you have met Jesus. And we see the fingerprints of God all over our lives. We know his word. We've seen Jesus work. We've heard all these testimonies. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, you've heard these Imani kids' testimonies. They're incredible. And we've met so many people that God has touched. We can testify. We can proclaim Jesus. And we need to be encouraged to stay together in fellowship under the submission of Scripture. Not anything else. That we stand together wholly in opposition to the things that are against God. So this month, let's dedicate to reading these letters of John with that anticipation of hearing from God. And I'd love to hear from you what God is speaking to you. Like if you're journaling these things down and, and seeing what God has shared with you, that would be great. That would be really encouraging. Let's pray. God, your word is true. And after so many centuries, it is still true. Your word, your promises, they don't change. And so we ask God for faithfulness as we move forward. We ask for holiness. We ask for joy as we study your scriptures. And Lord, would you please speak to your church as we're doing this daily scripture reading together? And would there be a unifying message to us that we can all resonate with and, and come together with knowing that you are dynamically speaking to your church? Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.